0: This is an audio cast of part one of the three-part special Frontline series, My Brother's Bomber, broadcast September 29th on PBS.
1: It was one of the worst terrorist attacks before 9-11. Pan Am, flight
2: 103...
3: A small Scottish
1: town. Tonight, Frontline presents
3: All these years later, the case is still open.
1: The first in a three part special series. The government has moved on, the FBI has moved on. Filmmaker Ken Dornstein's search for those responsible for the murder of 270 people, including his brother. Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. And by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Major support for Frontline is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information is available at macfound.org. Additional support is provided by the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. The Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide at fordfoundation.org. The Wincote Foundation. And by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler, and additional support from Chris and Lisa Kanib. Corporate funding for Frontline is provided by
0: the future of surgery is within sight. Our research is studying how real-time multimodality imaging during surgery can help precision and outcomes. Brigham and Women's Hospital. It all starts here. I can ask you to you know what's
4: happened?
2: That's Looks as if like there the
5: are house. a number of houses on fire. Is it uh, just a residential area? That
2: I think it's a plane, but they, they don't know you, you know, happened. we believe
5: a plane's come down on some houses, but um, that's all we know. Okay, thanks very much.
2: Disaster at Christmas. Pan Am Flight 103 had been in the air for an hour. For reasons we do not yet understand, the plane, with 50,000 gallons of fuel on board, plunged into a small Scottish or town.
6: Lockerbie with to liquid fire. large reportedly split in two.
7: There's very little hope, I would have thought, for anybody who was in that plane. When it did come to Earth, it hit very hard.
8: For some time the impression has been growing upon me that everyone
6: is dead I mean, just... when that plane went down david was figuring out how to be true to himself as an artist cut,
5: cut, cut.
6: he had an insatiable appetite for everything hello he lived his life saying yes and when the rest of us were sleeping he was reading and writing and when the rest of us were awake he was more awake
0: david's friend tim blake nelson
1: the aspiring novelist had wanted to surprise his family with an early arrival home instead he wound up on the doom flight 103 and never made it this was what his brother had to say
7: today
8: Somewhere it's Looking for your notebook. the pen is there to
0: breathe. And I remember you, you know, giving the memorial, and, and we thought it was great. And we you were reading letters from David. David's friend, Melissa Brown.
5: You know, I get the sense that you kind of look up to him, and he was older, but he thought so highly of you.
1: Only one man was ever convicted for the crime a Libyan who was to spend the rest of his life in prison was to spend the rest of his life. Today, the government of Scotland released Abdel Bassett El
8: Libyan intelligence agent is dying
3: of prostate cancer. Scottish officials are granting him what they call a
1: compassionate release. The victims are
8: And then I saw in the motorcade, covered from every angle.
0: Filmmaker Ken Dornstein talking with another Lockerbie relative.
8: And the only person ever convicted of the bombing of Flight 103, the murder of your daughter, my brother.
0: I'm
8: watching him go free live on television. I'm asking myself, is the murderer getting away? And how far would I go to find out whether he is who he seems to be?
1: ...douster of death in
3: 2011, provided Lockerbie investigators with a new opportunity... triple the smell of victory.
8: And I guess what I was thinking was... ...by fear and uncertainty. Maybe you could show up in Libya. Yeah. And maybe it would be possible to get an answer for once.
2: As long as it's good for you, as long as it's okay I don't know for if it's you. good
8: for me. You know, my wife and kids say maybe it's not great for you to be running around failed state.
5: Now that's true. You maybe want to be careful about being an American in Libya.
9: In some perverse way, I'm glad that you're tracking down the last of the killers and finding justice for your brother and my friend. I think that David would have enjoyed the Chase and enjoyed the idea that you were going to sit down with his murderer.
0: Over dinner, Ken and his family talk about him going to Libya. Remind me when you're going tomorrow. What time?
8: Just until Sunday. Uh, plane leaves at 4, 4 4.30. So when I leave you, when I take you guys to school, uh, I'll say goodbye because I won't be here when
9: you get back. I never know with you. I thought it was going to be 4.30 in the morning.
8: No, but I want to explain, I mean, you guys know I do a bunch of different kinds of films, but this one film that I've been doing, I haven't spoken much about it because mm-hmm. I never, I mean, I know you guys know that I had a brother, but you probably haven't heard me say that much about him. Have you guys seen pictures of Uncle David?
6: Yes, I have. He had yeah. very curly hair.
0: They look through a photo album.
8: And there's
6: that is, Uncle
8: there's Uncle David, nope. There he is with some shaving cream.
0: Mm-hmm. He looks that's very Uncle thoughtful, David? he's like, hmm.
8: So that's Uncle David when he was little. That's Uncle David.
0: Nine. He looks when he eight, was, eight or nine.
8: Yeah, could it could have been your seven, eight age? Eight or nine. He could have been your age there.
0: That's Aunt Susan? That's
8: Aunt Susan.
0: Oh he looks God. like a little girl. Guess who That's <laughs> that, that so looks like you. Yes! Yeah. So
8: I had my you. hair. I was gonna parted say, Sam, do you think easy. he
0: slicked his hair? My no, hair was parted He was very geek chic.
8: Can you see Uncle David kind of growing up? He's kind of teenagerish there. He Where's was your... just like you guys. He went to camp.
9: He had girlfriends.
8: Anyway, if he had lived, he would have been like a real character. He would have come Wait, to dinner. Is it? This is his college graduation. He looks a bit like and you. That's Uncle David. So he thought we looked alike, too. Is that you? And I used to think You're like, I used to think we don't look yeah, at all
0: alike. That's you. Here's a recording David made with some friends.
8: He's just like me. He's younger, but he's just like me. Does he look
6: like uh-huh.
3: He even looks sort of like me. I sending a letter home to my brother, so I told him I'd tell him what, what brunch was all about. So, I'm taping brunch. Hi, bro. Stephanie's Ken. from Long Island.
2: What's
0: your brother's name? My brother's
2: name is Ken. Ken? How old is Ken?
0: Tim Blake Nelson.
6: David saw in you a kindred spirit, but also one of his best friends, and I marveled at that. Hmm. Here he, he is, this towering figure on campus, and my. God, he loves his brother who's in high school. He just talks
8: about him all the time. The actual incident itself, the Lockerbie bombing, do you care at all about who did it or why? I, I certainly
6: care about it. It personalizes what terrorism means because I lost someone I loved in a, in a terrorist act But I found it impossible to associate David's death with the images of plane fragments on the ground in Scotland. I still can't. All I can think of is David alive.
1: One of those dead was remembered today here in the Delaware Valley, tearful relatives and friends gathering at Temple Beth Shalom in Elkins Park to honor the memory of 25-year-old David Dornstein of Cheltenham.
8: When David died, I was 19 years old. I was home from college for Christmas break, and my sister was on her way home as well. My father took the call from the airline, and I sat with him as we got the news that David was gone.
1: The relatives of some of those who died have arrived in Britain from America.
8: Many families flew immediately to Lockerbie, but mine stayed home. The bombing became a topic we could never manage to discuss. It was a
6: week ago tonight that Flight 103 fell out of the sky, leaving a 100-mile trail of twisted wreckage and 270 victims. Today, investigators said the evidence was conclusive. It was a bomb. The center
4: of their search is the crater, which was gouged out of the ground by the Pan American jet. President
0: Reagan said the US would make every effort to find out who bombed the Pan Am jet.
3: I have been following quite closely the details of the Pan Am 103 tragedy. And now that we know definitely
9: that it was a bomb, we're going to make every effort we can to find out who was guilty. I would hope to God that our government would definitely take a long, hard look at this. Because if we don't, stop
8: this A group of relatives quickly became public campaigners for the truth about Lockerbie.
2: Jim Swire said, we're not going to go away until we get what we want.
8: Among the most prominent and controversial, was a British doctor named Jim Swire, who'd lost his 23-year-old daughter. I remember the hair
9: on the back of my neck standing up the first time somebody in the media actually used the word murder. I remember the impact of that word, the concept that my lovely daughter should have been murdered. And I remember being aimlessly numb you know, I, I really couldn't concentrate on anything. My my partners fortunately realised I couldn't go on working at that time. So that career in medicine was cut short, and it gave more time and thinking space, if you like, to deal with the uh, enormity of the Lockerbie disaster. The finger of suspicion is pointing at radical oh, Palestinian groups, men who see violence as the only.
8: Early theories pinned the bombing on a terror group based in Syria and backed by Iran. But what role, if any, Iran played in the plot remained unclear. And I grew quietly obsessed with the mystery.
2: Yet another week of investigation into the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 is nearly at an end, and it is laborious.
9: Questions Where and how was the bomb placed on the plane, and who did it?
0: Acting Attorney General William Barr
9: morning.
6: <clears throat> For three years, the United States and Scotland have been conducting one of the most exhaustive and complex investigations in
8: history. Finally, the th- there is a press conference. Conducted- now they're saying, we've got the results of- and we're going to tell you who we believe did
9: it and why. Uh, yes, we saw the statement being put out in America.
6: Today, we are announcing an indictment in the case.
9: Dr. Jim Swire. It's an exciting moment because there is the assumption that we're going to find out the truth.
6: We charge that two Libyan officials, acting as operatives of the Libyan Intelligence Service, along with other co conspirators, planted and detonated the bomb that destroyed Pan Am Flight 103.
2: Murder
3: warrants are out tonight for two Libyan spies. They are now formally charged with bombing Pan Am Flight 103 out of the sky over Lockerbie, Scotland.
8: There are these two men, Libyan operatives of some kind, and you hear their names for the first time. Abdelbasid al-Megrahi, Lamine Fima.
9: Abdelbasid al-Megrahi is accused of being the mastermind of the Pan Am 103
8: bombing. I remember the story coming on and, and trying to feel something about this. My God, it was Libya. And I remember trying to work up a sense of the proper hatred for yeah. these two men.
9: Yeah. At that point, my reaction was, oh, thank goodness we're going to see two of the murderers brought to justice.
10: FEMA allegedly brought plastic explosives from Libya to Malta,
8: where the- Were you interested in the details? Who built the bomb? And where was it made? And, and how was it transported? Did those kind of details interest you?
9: They certainly did. I mean, somebody tells you something. Somebody says, look, McGraw, he did it.
8: My reaction to that is, well, prove it. The plot reportedly came down to a bomb built into a radio cassette player, packed with Semtex explosive. It was the Libyans who were accused of buying the clothes in the bomb bag and getting it all onto Flight 103. Two
2: Libyans are on trial at a court set up in the Netherlands. They've always insisted they are innocent.
8: It would take almost 10 years before the suspects were turned over, and families like mine were finally able to hear the evidence. And when it was all over, the verdict was a disappointingly mixed bag. A split decision for Laman Khalifa FEMA acquittal, but Abdelbasid Ali al Magrahi found guilty
3: as charged. The court
10: ruled Would I like to have tried the case in the United States? Sure. But, I mean, I don't know what more we could have done.
8: Brian Murtaugh was one of the top U.S. prosecutors on the case.
10: I believe that the evidence was there to convict McGrahee correctly and to sustain his conviction. I wish that FEMA had been convicted because I think the same should be said of of him. But, you know, the judges didn't see it that way. After waiting 12 years, It was some level of justice. Obviously, you can never bring your kid back.
0: Over and over today, the family members wanted to know, will the US now pursue Libyan leader Muammar Gaddafi?
8: The theory was that Lockerbie had been revenge for the U.S. bombing of Libya back in 1986. But Gaddafi always denied a role in Pan Am 103. His government claimed to have been pressured into paying money to families like mine and issuing a carefully worded statement. But they never took real responsibility for the bombing. And the story, to me, never truly felt finished.
10: You hear so often the the term closure, but I don't believe in closure. I don't think there is closure, not in this case.
8: This is going to be an interview with Sam about his dinner. What else do you want to say about your life?
9: First, I'll introduce everybody. This is Sophie Girl,
0: who's, she's going to turn three, right? Yeah. And I'm Sam, and I'm going to turn six. In September. And that is my dad, Ken.
8: Some and 20 years after the bombing, I was no guy. longer David's little brother. He's turn 40 I was married with two February. kids and working on documentaries for Frontline in Boston. When the kids were very young, I wrote a book about David's brief life, but I'd largely put my questions about his death out of my mind. With then, In the summer of 2009, something unexpected happened that brought it all back.
1: There is a possibility tonight that the only person convicted in the bombing of Pan Am Flight 103 over Lockerbie, Scotland, might soon go free after just 10 years in prison. Some relatives of the 270 victims are outraged.
8: The one man convicted for the bombing was diagnosed with cancer and was said to have just three months to live.
3: Prostate cancer, and Scottish officials are considering granting him what they call a compassionate release. And
8: clearly, he's terribly and then like. McGraw, he's let go by the Scottish government. How did you feel about that?
10: I mean, I've lost cases in court, you know, jury acquittals, and that hurts. But nothing hurt as much as this.
0: I mean, I,
8: I remember thinking it's, it's like watching a guy get away with murder in real
10: time. Yep. Unlike our system, we have compassionate release, but you really have to be at death's door. He wasn't that sick. It
0: was a decision met with outrage at the highest levels.
1: We have been in contact with the Scottish government, uh, in, indicating uh, that we objected to this and
6: uh, we thought it was a mistake.
1: President Obama said the U.S. deeply regrets the decision and warned Libya not to give him a hero's welcome. The Libyans
6: weren't listening. Megrahi emerged wearing a suit to the frail former inmate, unrecognizable as he acknowledged the jubilant crowd.
8: I remember being shocked by Megrahi's release. His conviction hadn't been fully satisfying, but at least it was an answer. Now, all that was coming undone. My brother and the others had been killed, and certainty about who did it was being wiped away.
3: Some believe Megrahi should go free. They don't believe he was guilty in the first place. Megrahi is not expected to live long enough for his next appeal
1: to be heard.
8: Megrahi's release also gave momentum to those who believed he wasn't guilty at all, and theories pinning Lockerbie on Iran were once again revived. I wished I could let it go, but instead, I decided to set out on my own search for answers. I began by tracking down the FBI agent who'd worked longer than anyone on the Lockerbie case, Richard Marquise.
3: Marquise. How are you? Good to see you, Ken. Good to see
8: you. Good. Almost 25 years later, no one's ever admitted playing any role in it. And in fact, McGrahy, the one man convicted, he's let go you know, after serving only eight years under a cloud of suspicion. Nobody in- is
3: being. Nobody is paying for this. Nobody is paying judicially for blowing up Pan Am 103. That's a great frustration. Gaddafi was told, if your agents are found guilty, you have to admit responsibility for the attack. And all he would admit to was responsibility for the actions of my agents. I think it's terrible that we allowed him to get away with that statement. When I spoke to the Lockerbie families, I said, I wished we could have gotten more for you. McGraw—he was the only person convicted because he's the only person that the evidence led to. But if he did this, he didn't do it by himself. McGraw—he's the tip of the iceberg. If I was writing the novel version, we would have identified not only the people who put the bomb on the plane, but those who ordered it, up the chain of command, and put them all in jail—that
8: would have been their fantasy. Over the years, I've gotten to know a lot of the investigators and prosecutors who worked on the case.
2: Stuart Henderson, okay, pleased to meet <sighs> you.
8: I've visited their homes here and abroad, suddenly... and heard their stories. We didn't
10: have any evidence of that. Was... They're all retired now, and almost
8: to a man, they feel unsatisfied with the way the case ended.
2: How frustrated do you think we are to be detectives who've been all over the world trying to get an answer to this and can't get access to what we want.
0: Former lead Scottish investigator Stuart Henderson.
2: At no stage did I ever say I just wanted McGrae. I said I wanted all of them because there was no doubt in my mind that he isn't the only one. He was a baggage man and he got caught, and rightly so. But I would like to have seen the rest of them.
0: Former prosecutor Brian Murtaugh.
10: No, the case isn't finished because all those responsible for the crime have not been identified and prosecuted, much less convicted.
8: Is the. US. government interested in them? Yeah,
0: I hope so. Former FBI investigator, Richard Marquise. But I don't know. I, honestly, I have no idea.
3: I, you know, the government has moved on. The FBI has moved on, there's other things. Lockerbie's still an open case that somebody has assigned to him, but does it get daily attention? I don't know the answer to that.
10: It's not just another murder case. It's 270 people, 189 of them American. All of the victims, totally innocent, And it's an attack on the United States. I'll go to my grave believing that Gaddafi either ordered it or knew about it and let it happen, and it was perpetrated by a cast of characters that we may never fully identify in the Libyan intelligence service. And the only way we're ever gonna find out what happened fully is somebody walks in that was involved and lays it all out for us, or there's a regime change in Libya. Protests all across the Arab world from Morocco to Iran. Governments have fallen in
1: Tunisia and Egypt. Will Libya be next?
8: In the summer of 2011, regime change in Libya suddenly seemed possible.
3: is the country.
8: As the rebels gained ground, I began to wonder about making the trip to Libya myself, searching for answers to more than 20 years of questions.
0: Back at the dinner table with Ken and his family.
8: Gaddafi might be out, and maybe if he leaves, the people who bombed Uncle David's plane will be there, and maybe if they're not afraid of him anymore, maybe they'll sit down with me and you know and tell me the truth would you do it, even if it meant leaving your kids who you love so much, and your wife, and your life together?
6: Well, to find the culprit would mean, I I know it, it would mean a lot to me if I found someone who knew, and just having everything being clarified and knowing everything, at least knowing what happened, can help. It really can help clear up your questions.
0: In his office, Ken prints photos of other Libyan suspects. Again, Brian Murtaugh.
10: My experience in dealing with victims is they want to see those who perpetrated the crime, killing their loved one, held accountable and punished accordingly. And I think what they want to hear from the perpetrator is an admission of guilt and an expression of remorse. So I certainly understand as a documentarian journalist, that you are trying to make sense out of this unthinkable, inexplicable, and in a sense, unresolved crime.
8: So you had a list of names. Oh yeah. I mean, how, how, how many names would have been on the list?
3: Probably 10.
0: Richard Marquis.
3: Stuart Henderson and I, We both left lists with our successors to say, if you get to Libya, this is what you ought to do. So you ought to go after who you you should talk
2: to. Every one of these, at some stage, played a part in it. And the list read quite clearly, there was Abdullah Sanusi, Ezedin and Sherry, who did the ordering of explosive device timers. So Mohammed Rashid, Adri Hassan. We've got Abdullah Zadma. Nasser Ashur, an expert in making sure that bombs go off. Mohammed Ibrahim Bashari. And a surprise expert in charge. Explosives in particular. A surprise mechanic you could say that started the ball rolling. He holds a key to all. these are the people that must be found, and these are the people who are responsible, but they never, ever got access to them long enough to interview any of them. We got part of the conspiracy, but only a small part. You only get the answer to your final story with the rest of them. I think until none of them can be found at all, then you can't stop.
8: in Libya had closed down the main airport, so I had to find my own way in. I flew first into neighboring Tunisia, then hired a driver to take me through the night toward Libya's western border.
9: This is the Tunisian
0: border. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Oh, what's that A border guard examines Ken's papers. Your first name is?
5: Ken.
9: No, no, surname. You
5: want me to write it in?
9: Surname. Oh,
8: I'm going to put this away. It was late in the summer of 2011, as the Libyan revolution reached its climax when I finally arrived in the capital, Tripoli. Let's get into it, starting with the situation in Libya. It has taken a new turn. They still have no idea where Muammar Gaddafi is. He's on the run tonight.
0: After 42 years, Libya's unpredictable Muammar Gaddafi is on the ropes and missing.
1: Today on the streets of Tripoli, the smell of victory,
3: tempered by fear and uncertainty. Rebel forces are in control of almost all of Libya and most of the capital after their lightning advance this weekend that caught Gaddafi's forces by surprise. But it's now clear it is not over yet. There is still fierce fighting in many neighborhoods as forces loyal to Gaddafi take one final stand.
8: After so many years of imagining this place, it was hard to believe I was actually here, at Gaddafi's old home. Now his compound had become a makeshift fairground, complete with lots of celebratory gunfire, souvenirs, and a general carnival atmosphere. By the time I arrived, the NATO bombing campaign had taken out many of Gaddafi's old command and control centers. And rumors were flying that important intelligence material might have been left behind here in Gaddafi's vast network of fortified bunkers.
5: And what's this map? Uh, Libya. Egypt, Libya.
8: Suleiman Ali's way joined up with the revolution from its start in Benghazi, where he was born. When I first met him, he was leading me and some other journalists on a tour of an old
5: underground intelligence facility. When Tripoli fell, there were so many places that were left unguarded. Did you find Gaddafi? Come out
8: out wherever you are.
5: And we were just going through all of those places to show a Western journalist how how an authoritarian regime was operating and how, you know, what kind of files they kept. Jesus,
8: look at this room. Suleiman seemed to share a deep interest in the secrets of the old regime. So what what do we think these tapes are?
5: are... You know, that was intelligence.
8: You can't have for Suleiman, the search for answers was personal as well.
5: One of the reasons I, I went to Tripoli is to find out what happened to my uncle. He was taken in 89. He was killed in the, the Muslim massacre, the 1,200 who were killed. We didn't find out until 2003. Even when they said that he died, there was no body. They didn't give us a body, so. All of those years of uncertainty and there's no closure. A very big segment of of the Libyan society would have a story that is similar to this. You know, people who wanted answers and tried to find some old names to, to you know, to solve uh, a mystery. Mm-hmm. By the Lockerbie thing. It's uh, so long ago. Everybody who might have had, you know, remotely any idea what happened in Lockerbie would either be dead or out of the country or, you know, on the run with Gaddafi somewhere. So. I had, I had very little hopes to finding something uh, substantial.
8: Suleiman was understandably skeptical, but he was willing to help. We rented an apartment on the outskirts of Tripoli, and the next day, we began to search for the men on my list. These are some houses, look at these. Yeah. A few of the men I was looking for lived in this exclusive section of Tripoli. What do people think of
5: this neighborhood?
0: Mostly known as the Gaddafi's uh, family and uh,
5: relatives, like Gaddafi himself used to live in this neighborhood. Also, there's Abdullah Sanusi, Saeed Rasid family. You know, the close circle, Gaddafi.
8: It's good to be a friend of Muammar's.
7: <laughs>
8: Our first stop was the home of the most well-known man on my list, Abdullah Sanusi. How many people lived here?
4: I don't know, he had a bunch of kids, you know.
8: Abdullah Senussi was the head of Libyan intelligence at the time of Lockerbie, and was actually convicted for the downing of another passenger plane that was bombed not long after Flight 103. By the time of the revolution, Senussi had become the second most powerful man in the country, which is likely why NATO put a missile through the center of his house, an attack that Senussi somehow survived. Said Rashid is this or that? Or the, it looks like this, this is all one thing, this style of gate. This is uh, his house. Just around the block, yes. I went looking for another of the men on my list, Said Rashid. The U.S. government had said that Said Rashid was one of the masterminds of Lockerbie and many other attacks against the West. He was known to Libyans as a ruthless Qaddafi enforcer. All this damage is is from looting or from NATO. Rashid's family had abandoned this house just a few weeks before I arrived. The place was ransacked for money and valuables. But I'd come looking for evidence of Rashid's involvement in Lockerbie. So this was Syed Rashid's office? In Rashid's desk, I found an Arabic translation of the indictment of the Libyans for Pan Am 103 complete with Rashid's handwritten notes. But there was no smoking gun. Who's that in the in the white? The Rashid? Said Rashid.
5: Yes, the outside one. Yes. Uh,
8: we managed to find someone still working at Libyan State Television, and he queued up the video of Megrahi's release from a Scottish prison. I was told that several key suspects in the Lockerbie plot had showed up to welcome him home. The first man to greet Megrahi was none other than Sayed Rashid, the alleged mastermind of the plot. He
5: said he was one of the five fingers of uh, Gaddafi's hand, so he, he must be there.
8: But even more senior than Rashid was the man whom Magrahi was about to greet in the front seat of this SUV. Who's this? Abdullah Sinusi. I began to feel that Megrahi's return had become a kind of reunion for the suspected Lockerbie plotters. It also seemed to be a belated victory celebration. The night's featured speaker was Syed Rashid.
7: We are in this
0: steadfast house where the leader has greeted us.
7: Listening to Rashid,
8: I tried to understand the mind of a Qaddafi loyalist who may have plotted to down my brother's
0: plane. We are indebted to you, leader, not only for standing with us but for every stance you took for the homeland. We fight around the clock, our guns in our hands, and whenever you call us, we are knights in this battle.
8: On this night, Gaddafi couldn't have seemed more pleased with Rashid. But I was told things didn't end well for him. In the chaotic early moments of the revolution, Gaddafi grew paranoid came to question the loyalty of the ultimate loyalist. Rashid was shot as a traitor.
7: Rashid, he died in the beginning of the crisis. Somebody shot him wrongly, I think that's what I heard. To be frank, Ken, 99% of them are gone.
8: Gone since the last six months, you mean, or gone the last few weeks?
7: Well, uh, gone with the... Uh, yeah, like a few months ago.
8: It wasn't easy to find anyone left who knew the men on my list personally. But then I met Abdo al kanuni His family business was explosives, and it brought him in contact with many in military and intelligence circles.
7: I've known them all. I said, 90%, 99% of these people, I've had a relationship with them. All ministers. They all miss uh, the ministry of the that ministry of uh, transportation. That means you are able to do anything you are asked for. No one can run any, any kind of ministry unless he's trusted by, by, by the government or by the leader.
8: And how do you become trusted by the leader? You have to claim to be, to be loved. Back in the 1970s, Kanuni said he got involved with a controversial CIA contractor Named Ed Wilson, who used Kanuni's family business to help smuggle massive amounts of plastic explosives into Libya. It was at this time that he came to have contact with many of the men on my list.
7: Dealing with the government and with, with the military, with the security, that's my job. They are consulting me in the technical yeah. things. Yeah. So I give them the, my, mm-hmm. my advice. But other things that I don't want, I myself, I don't want to be involved in. It. I have nothing to do with all these people myself.
8: Kanuni said very few people might ever have known the truth about Lockerbie. And those who remained alive would likely never speak. And then there were the men I still hadn't identified. Top on my list was this man in the backseat of the car that picked up McGrawy. Only the key suspects in the plot seemed to be part of the welcome committee. But who was he? This is someone who might be known to to somebody who knew these foreign operations in the 1980s. Abogila, Abu Aguila? What kind of guy is
7: he? He's an expert. A very
8: active man. Very active in the sort of things I'm talking about. Yeah.
7: Abogila, I know him, but I haven't seen him for more than 15 years, I think. But. You have to be careful trying to find somebody who knows Ecuador. You know. Some of them they are afraid to be to be shown or shown up in even in the streets. You know. They are not wrong. They they're scared. But I can get some information from a, a man who knows him well. I think you know, I, I will see to I will see to what your demand. Demand. It's a request. And very humbly
8: you're all we've got. And the fact that you might be able to help would be very helpful to us. I'll do my best, Ken. Thank you, I know you will. I
7: promise I'll do my best.
8: In those early weeks in Libya, I didn't think about the danger or the difficulty of what I was doing. I thought only of finding the men on my list and getting the answers that I'd come for.
5: alaikum. alaikum. We get something and then we hit a wall. You get so excited and so close to something and then it's just another block in the road. When he saw the camera, he was like, what, what is he shooting? And I told him we're right. journalists and he said, you know, is this an investigation? You should be you should be leaving and blah blah blah.
8: We should be leaving.
5: Yeah. Don't ask too many questions. Yeah, we should go. We should not abuse this. Let's go. Not... Yeah. To be honest, people were like, "What is this guy? What is he doing? What's the real story?" Okay, yeah, yeah, journalist. He wants to do a film. That's not the case. You know, there's, uh, there's. I'm sure that there's a lot of people who doubted that. It all depends on the way how how you approach them about talking. I don't think they're going
8: to talk because they want to help. A Western journalist. Mm-hmm. I think they'll talk if they're afraid that they don't
5: have any other options. No, yeah, no, I think that... they're kind of trapped now. You know, the the regime that was protecting them no longer exists, and
0: yeah. But I mean, you can't threaten someone to expose himself because either way, he will be just feel he's you know
5: threatened. You know? No, it's not about threatening them. It's it's about saying that you know you know the game is already over. Everybody knows about this, and it's better to come forward. Somehow we have to seem like the good option. Yeah. We have no options with the new regime. They want to clear Libya's image with, with the West, you know, the newly friend, befriended West. And you're worth nothing to the new regime. So you better sing.
8: <laughs> it's worth a try. Yeah. Many a man's been afraid of me in the past,
5: so.
0: <laughs> How many people?
8: Oh, yeah. They see this face. Many former terrorists, they, they crumble. They crack immediately. <laughs> I'd already been away from my family for weeks, but I didn't have much to show for it. The men I was looking for had either fled the capital or were laying low in places where I would never be able to find them. This is all that remains of Colonel Gaddafi's convoy as he tried to escape... Told that NATO and then there was Gaddafi himself. For weeks, Gaddafi had holed up in his hometown of Sirte, and when he tried to slip out one morning, a NATO airstrike hit his convoy point blank.
1: Somehow, though, Colonel Gaddafi himself escaped from all this. And
8: Gaddafi and a few of his security detail took cover in this drainage pipe.
3: The rebels dragged Muammar Gaddafi, once the most powerful man in Libya out of a drainage ditch. And that's when the mayhem started. Gaddafi's last moments were recorded. His last words reportedly were, don't kill me, don't kill my sons.
8: When this video hit the news, reporters began to call me and other Lockerbie relatives. They wanted to know what we felt. Were we satisfied? I watched Gaddafi's death over and over trying to feel some bloodlust for the man who may have given the order to blow up Flight 103. But I only managed to feel a strange empathy for this beaten man pleading for his life. Rebels
3: hoisted Gaddafi's body onto a truck so the crowds could see their prize.
8: Meanwhile, I heard a rumor that one of the remaining men on my list had been in the convoy with Gaddafi that morning we found a video of the survivors who'd been taken prisoner by a vengeful rebel militia. Most were low-level loyalists, and tribesmen brought in to fight Gaddafi's last stand.
0: They're saying, shame on you, you son of a bitch. I spit on you.
8: The prisoners were marched into a field, shot execution-style, and left to rot in the desert sun. The most high-profile among them was the man I'd been looking for, a loyalist named Ezzedine Hinshiri, who'd stuck with Gaddafi until the bitter end.
0: Ken and Suleiman look at the video. This looks like him, doesn't it? Yeah, it looks like it. Somebody says, this one's Ezzedine Hinshiri. I know him.
8: I knew little of Ezzedine Hinshiri's role in Lockerbie, except that he'd made the initial order of the timers said to have blown up Flight 103. Hinshiri had been close friends with Syed Rashid. Both were engineers. Both had been involved with the timers. And now both were dead. By my count, there were now only four men left on my list. One of them, I was told, had died of a heart attack just a few months earlier. He wasn't like the others. Not a regular intelligence officer or a member of Qaddafi's inner circle, but an airline executive who may have been co-opted to take part in the plot. His name was Badri Hassan.
4: Badri, believe you me, is is a scapegoat. I'm sure he never knew what was going on until it was too late. Or after it happened.
8: Suwad Hassan was Badri's wife. Her brother Yassin worked with Badri part-time and for years listened to his sister's questions about Lockerbie.
4: By nature, Suad is very inquisitive. She always wants answers to certain things that happen. And there are certain questions that Badri would not, would not have, he would not answer to. And,
8: um, Suad said her suspicions about Badri began almost immediately after the bombing.
0: Badri got into this weird mood around Lockerbie. He wouldn't speak.
8: A short time, you mean, after
0: the Lockerbie? He would swear by God that he didn't know about it. I said if he was lying, we'd get divorced, and he swore by God and his kids he's innocent. But I'm absolutely sure of it. Well, it, was the, it, all, it, all, it you're sure of what? That he was
8: involved? So what, do you know why I'm so interested in all of this? I had an older brother. He was on the plane that went down over
0: Lockerbie. Really? Very sorry to hear that. So sorry. Badri left behind so much suffering. (laughs) I almost can't remember my life before this Lockerbie happened. God only knows.
4: Many, many innocent people died. Yes. Many, many innocent people are still suffering from this.
0: Especially me. I'm very suffering about that trip. About the people who killed in that trip. Yeah. May God destroy your house, <inaudible> Muammar Gaddafi. You led Libya astray.
4: Badri died with a lot of secrets. Ezdin. a dean. Sayyid Rashid or Abdullah Salusi, they were always there in the front line. They were always there willing to do the wicked stuff
8: for Gaddafi. And Abdul Basid? Yeah.
9: Mm-hmm.
8: What was Badri's relationship with Magrahi?
0: We were very close friends. He was with Badri okay. most of the time.
8: When was this? They, they met in 87.
0: 87 at the first
8: meeting in, in Zurich. Zurich, Switzerland. Suad told me that Badri and Megrahi rented an office here for more than a year before Lockerbie. It turned out they were right down the hall from the Swiss company, Mebo that made the timer said to have blown up Flight 103. It's thought
4: that this device was bought from Mebo in Zurich. Badri was the connection between this Mebo company and the Libyan intelligence,
2: Yeah.
4: Badri tried to prove that they didn't know what the device was going to be used for.
8: Do you think Abdel knew what the device was going to be used
4: for?
0: I think Abdel knows everything.
8: Did, did did Badri keep documents? I know he was secretive, but mm-hmm. do you. Yeah.
9: Mm-hmm.
8: Let's let's go
4: upstairs and just have a look. <laughs>
0: Uh, this is the last document he prepared before he died, in these two boxes. Is,
8: is it locked?
0: Yeah.
8: It's locked. And we don't have the key. No. no. I later learned that Suad's oldest son held the key, and didn't think it was safe to potentially expose any of Badri's secrets. Did he ever tell you anything about these papers, that these were... Papers to be opened if something happened to him, or he to be destroyed.
0: Nothing.
8: Yeah. nothing. No,
4: no, no. He never does. No,
8: no.
0: Nothing.
4: But very secretive man. <laughs> yeah. The truth has to come out about Pan Am 103. The yes. connection of Switzerland, the connection of Magrahi, uh, the the connection of Zurich you would get a lot of uh, information out of uh, a certain Swiss person, Mr. Bollier. Bollier. Ah, he's, he's located in Zurich. Zurich. This Mibo company.
0: As Sawad and Yasin talk about the man in Zurich, the film shows a man walking down a hallway.
4: Boulier, um met with Badrim many times, both in Zurich and in Libya, I think. A couple, couple of times, three or four times, I I've seen him yeah. prior to uh, the Lockerbie incident. But I'm sure, and I'm definitely positive that Mebo knows of badgering
2: secrets.
0: The man enters an office with Mebo written on the door.
2: He was deeply involved with the Libyans. This is Molay, very very close. Stuart Henderson. The Libyans were operational in Zurich and were getting supplied with timing devices for bombs by Mollier.
0: Richard Marquise.
3: The Scots and the U.S. government had a difference of opinion about Boulay. Stuart Henderson will tell you, we looked at Boulay 100% as a suspect. But I treated him like that, I treated him
0: like a suspect. We'll
3: get reset and, Ken
0: uh, Dornstein oh. prepares to interview to Bollier back, on camera.
3: But I also thought, this guy's a witness. We want to treat him like a witness, because <laughs> we wanted to know. What's his answer going to be? Do you know who blew up Pan M 103?
8: You're ready for takeoff.
0: Rolling. Rolling. Bollier faces the camera as the film ends.
6: Next time on My Brother's Bomber. The cockpit
8: landed in this field over here. The lights on the instrument panel were still lit. From Libya. Am I going to make a scene and go into the room and say, did you murder my brother? To Zurich. There was a man there and he was still in the same office, same place where the timer that they say had blown up, Flight 103. Wow.
1: Next time on Frontline, Ken Dornstein's search continues.
0: go to pbs.org/frontline for more about the search for answers in the bombing of Pan Am flight 103. Lockerbie's
3: still an open case that somebody has assigned to him.
0: Explore an interactive guide to filmmaker Ken Dornstein's investigation into the attack.
2: We got part of the conspiracy but only a smoker.
0: Connect to the Frontline community on Facebook and Twitter. Visit us on YouTube for even more original Frontline reporting. And if stories like this matter to you, then sign up for our newsletter at pbs.org Frontline.
1: Frontline is made possible by contributions to your PBS station from viewers like you. Thank you. And by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Major support for Frontline is provided by the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, committed to building a more just, verdant, and peaceful world. More information is available at MacFound.org. Additional support is provided by the Park Foundation, dedicated to heightening public awareness of critical issues. The John and Helen Glessner Family Trust, supporting trustworthy journalism that informs and inspires. The Ford Foundation, working with visionaries on the front lines of social change worldwide at FordFoundation.org. The Wincoat Foundation. And by the Frontline Journalism Fund, with major support from John and Joanne Hagler. And additional support from Chris and Lisa Canib. Corporate funding for Frontline is provided by Brigham and Women's Hospital.
0: My Brother's Bomber was written, produced, and directed by Ken Dornstein and co-produced by Brian Funk and Timothy Grusha. The executive producer of Frontline is Rainey Aronson-Roth. Frontline's My Brother's Bomber is available on DVD. To order, visit shoppbs.org or call 1-800-PLAY-PBS. Frontline is also available for download on iTunes we